Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kier, Roots 11 and 15, Hummels Wharf, online at sunburymotors.com. Ford, Lincoln, Kia, Hyundai. That's the new uh, pre owned inventory as well. Look, I'm in now starting to get into the market for a new vehicle. There's only one place I'm going to look. It's only going to be Sunbury Motors. It's the only place I'm going to look, Sunbury Motors. They're the ones I trust, and you should trust them too. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Key Routes 11 and 15, Hummels Wharf online at sunburymotors.com. Phil Steele in a few moments. Raven Sample in the final half hour today. Looking forward to that. Uh, it should be a fun fun time talking to the two of them as we get into actually, I mean, college football with all the movement out there. We're actually still getting ready for a season, and I can't wait for the games to start. I mean, with the Hall of Fame game and the NFL starting uh, on Thursday, it whets the appetite for football. Now, my appetite is already whetted for golf. We'll be at the Susquehanna Valley Country Club with the show tomorrow. Looking forward to it. Before we get to Phil Steele, though, time now for our play-by-play call of the day. Former Philly Macau Franco gives the Orioles a thrill and gets the Tigers upset. 59 games. First pitch swinging on the ground. Franco bobbled it and still threw him out. Wow. Wow, from the seat of his pants, be advantageous for the infielders. You see, going to the right, he's falling down it. And this ball hits the grass and takes a true hop right to the first baseman. Actually, two hops to Mancini over at first base. That's not how you want to teach kids how to do it, but he got the job done. And I guess that's the whole point, staying with it and making a throw close to the first baseman. Welcome, everyone, back. And the outstanding Phil Steele joins us, uh, the best in the business. Phil? As you and I were talking before we uh, started this, what a difference a year makes. Oh, it, just huge, Steve. Last year at this time I was doing radio shows, and I was saying after talking to all the head coaches last year, I talked to a little over 100 last year, that I felt good we were going to play football because they all had the attitude, you know what, you put the ball in the field, we'll be ready to play. And then conferences started dropping, and there was just in the back of your mind, maybe we're not going to play football this year. But we played. And, you know, the biggest difference this year, Steve, was with the first-year head coaches. Last year, with first-year head coaches, I sent them over my sheets with my uh, 100-plus players on the roster, all my little notes on the players, and I would tell them, you know, okay, put me in the right order and tell me a little something about the players. And the new coaches would say, Phil, you know more about the team than I do. I haven't even (laughs) seen these guys in pads yet. So it was refreshing to talk to. I talked to a little over 110 head coaches this year, and all post-spring, and everybody knew their team. Yeah, which is a yeah that big plus because I know Penn State's going to play Auburn and Brian Harson's in his first year down at Auburn, and so now at least after the Boise State run, he at least as you can tell when you talk with him, he at least has a feel for the personnel he has. Yeah, and 
and he likes what he's inherited there. I mean, they've got Bo Nix back at quarterback, Tank Bigsby back at running back. Probably the biggest question mark with the team is the receiver position. A lot of unproven talent there. They did add a Georgia wide receiver, but other than that, the team looks pretty good, especially a linebacker. They got Jacoby McLean, yeah. Owen Popo. They make up my number eight rated uh, linebacking unit out there. So, uh, yeah, if it was last year at this time, he'd be like, I don't even know this team. But, yeah, at least he knew them this year. And uh, uh, it's uh, I think Auburn's going to be a good team. They play a tough schedule, though. By the way, for everybody, Barnes & Noble in our area is the area to get Phil Steele's magazine. It is, you know, people ask me, you know, what do you buy? It's the only one I buy. So I just want everybody to know that's how strongly I feel about Phil's content because you're updating it daily. So when you're updating it daily, what is the transfer portal meant to how you update? Because you mentioned the wide receiver going from Georgia to Auburn. He just did that. So what does it mean to your updating all the time in terms of trying to make sure that the publication has the latest information? Well, I think the best thing we did, Steve, was I used to go to the press towards the end of May, and this year I moved it back to June 15th. So we were able to capture all the transfer portal moved as of June 15th. And to give you an example, Luke McCaffrey was at Nebraska last year and transferred to Louisville. He was a backup quarterback there. And then at the end of May, he opts to transfer out and hit the portal again. And I'm like, okay, well, we're going to the press June 15th. We'll never find out where Luke McCaffrey lands. And then, lo and behold, Coach Bloomgren of Rice gives me a call on June 13th says, Phil, we just landed Luke McCaffrey. So we took him, plugged him in as a starting quarterback at Rice, changed the quarterback right up, changed the offense right up, changed the uh, total right up for the team a little bit. Not not major. I mean, you never reflect on just one guy, but we were able to capture all that. So if they hit, if they landed anywhere before June 15th, we've got it in the magazine. And now there has been a couple since then, but uh, I think we captured the majority of them. Yeah, which is outstanding because it's not easy to keep tracking when they can move almost any time they want. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. I mean, I know. And, and, the, and talking to the head coaches, Steve, they're all like, you know what? We've got to re recruit our players. I hope we can. You know, I feel real good about the running back position, provided none of these guys leave. Right. <laughs> right. That was a lot of the topics this year. Yeah, no, exactly right. That's when you talk to them. They literally have to re-recruit their team every year. So a lot of people want to know what your opinion is of Penn State. Uh, They started out 0-5 last year, won their last four. Uh, It's an interesting team with 54 of of the 105 that they had in the spring were freshmen or redshirt freshmen, but it's a veteran team in a lot of ways. How do you look at Penn State? Yeah, and keep in mind, freshmen and redshirt freshmen uh, might just be sophomores, actually, because they played last year. They just didn't move their names. So I I did talk to some coaches that would say, oh, we've got all these freshmen. I'm like, you know, some of those guys are really sophomores. I mean, they started 12 games or a sophomore, for crying out loud. But when (laughs) when I look at Penn State, I see a much-improved team. In fact, they are my number one most-improved team in the country. You go back to last year. This was not a Penn they, they opened up 0-5, but it's not like Penn State was being destroyed on the field. You go back to that Indiana game, they had a 488-211 to yard edge, and somehow, some way, controversial two-point conversion at the end, they end up losing that game, which I think set the tone for the early part of the season. And, yeah. you know, uh, Ohio State only beat them by 13. I thought they played a decent game against them. Iowa was a team that's just blowing everybody out and did get the best of Penn State, but I like the way they finished. And there's plenty of talent here. As you know, I've talked to Coach Franklin each of his uh, uh, years that he has eight years that he's been at Penn State, and uh, he, I like the way he's built this roster. And they're a deep roster. You go, you go three deep on this team. 
Uh, I think the key to Penn State this year is going to be quarterback play. They need Sean Clifford to improve. I thought he took a little step back last year. But remember, last year, the running back position, you looked really strong heading into the year. Then they lose their top guy, lose the number two guy, lose the number three guy. And all of a sudden, you are dealing with freshmen last year. I think they're in better shape, uh, clearly a running back, offensive line across the board this year. They are my number one most improved team in the country. Now, playing Wisconsin on the road, Iowa on the road, Ohio State on the road, doesn't make it easy to be a main contender in the East. But uh, I've got them finishing second in the East. Next to some team, um, oh, who was that now? It's uh, Oh, Ohio State yeah, at first. Yeah, about 300-plus miles west of here. Um which you talk about quarterbacks, so I had to ask you, what's the read you're getting on C.J. Stroud? Uh, I think C.J. Stroud is going to be the starting quarterback at Ohio State. Uh, he put on 10 pounds of muscle this year, looked good in the spring game. It, the funny thing and the surprising thing to me, uh, Steve, was if I was the head coach of Ohio State last year, I would have let some of these guys throw some passes late in the games yeah. when it was a blowout because they actually ended the season with zero career pass attempts for the first time since 1952. But uh, all the talk is, you know, and, and the talk coming out of the spring was we're not going to announce a starting quarterback, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be C.J. Stroud. And in this era where the backup quarterbacks, once it's announced there's a starter, they have to transfer. Uh, I think Ryan Day is doing the proper thing by keeping Kyle McCord and Jack Miller motivated, and they will push Stroud. But I think Stroud not only wins the job, I think he'll be one of the better quarterbacks in Big Ten this year. Penn State will open the season, as you mentioned, at Wisconsin. Uh, What's the feeling at Wisconsin about Graham Mertz, who had the fabulous opener at Illinois, then got COVID, was out three weeks, and never seemed the same after that? What did Paul Chris tell you about him? You know, I didn't get to talk to Coach Chris, okay. but uh, I will say this with uh, with Wisconsin. I think Graham Mertz will uh, be a much improved quarterback this year, more like the Illinois game rather than what we saw, uh, as you mentioned, when he uh, came back from COVID last year and, and, and definitely struggled. Uh, so I, I think when you look at Mertz, he's a guy that has uh, uh, got every, all the tools you want. He was my number three rated quarterback, I think, coming out of high school, three or four, yeah. something in that area. And uh, he has all the tools you want. He's got a better supporting cast. Last year, Wisconsin only averaged 3.9 yards per carry. Now, Steve, you're you're probably used to Wisconsin averaging five or six yards a carry. Yep. So 3.9 is unusual. And the reason was they didn't have that feature back. Uh, Jalen Berger didn't really take over till the end of the year. This year, they've got four VHTs running behind a veteran offensive line. And for your listeners, VHT is a very highly touted yep. running back. Berger was my number 11 out of high school. They had in a Ches Malusi out of Clemson, yep. who's my number 15 rated. They got Julius Davis, Loyal Crawford. So with a better run game, I think we'll see Graham Mertz be a much improved quarterback this year. You know, a lot of people nationally are looking at Oklahoma. So let me tell you. Tell me what do you see in Oklahoma? Because one area, it's one thing about Spencer Rattler, which I'm, you're going to get into here, I'm sure, in a moment. But it seems like Oklahoma defensively is a better team than they have been in the past five years. How do you view it? Do you see the same thing? Yeah, absolutely, Steve. I'm right there with you in that. And, you know, you go back to Lincoln Riley's first three years. They made the playoff each of the three years. Then in the playoff, they gave up 54 points to Georgia. They gave up 45 points to Alabama. They gave up 63 points to LSU. Is there any reason? Is there any wonder why they lost in the playoff each of the first uh, three years of Lincoln Riley? But you hit it right on the head. Last year, I thought the defense made major strides. They only allowed 21.7 points per game, and naturally everybody's back. And here's the thing: the playoff teams last year, the four playoff teams, 
Uh, everybody this year I talked to, Steve, all the head coaches were like, all right, this is the deepest we've ever been in spring. We normally are scraping to get a two-deep together, and now we go three-deep in spring. We have yeah. the deepest team we ever had. Yeah. Everybody's got 16, 17, 18 returning starters. Like Oklahoma, they have 15 returning starters coming back. The four teams that made the playoff last year all have like 9, 10, 11 returning starters and all lost their starting quarterback. So the door's wide open. I think Oklahoma's a complete team because they have that potent offense, my number one offensive line. The guy I think is going to win the Heisman Trophy, loaded receivers and running backs, but this time they bring a defense to the party. They got my number three rated defensive line, number nine set of linebackers, and number three DBs. So add it all up. I, I think Oklahoma, this is their year, and uh, I'm, I'm calling for their first national title since 2000. Yeah, no, and, and a lot of people could see why. Look, if you can play defense and you've got a quarterback that now is a veteran, I mean, Rattler's now a veteran, which means whatever Lincoln Riley's thinking, he's probably thinking along the same lines. I mean, and that's important. I mean, because the trust between a coach and a quarterback is really important, Phil. Yeah, when he's had three veteran quarterbacks, two of them won the Heisman Trophy, and yeah. the other one was a Heisman finalist. So he does pretty good in that range. <laughs> and the thing, the thing I really like about Spencer Rattler, if you watch that Texas game last year, he was struggling. He got benched in the second quarter. Now, in this era of hit the portal, you wonder what his attitude would be. He came off that bench, and he was an improved quarterback the rest of the year, and I think we'll see that this year. Who's more of a challenger, Iowa State or Texas in the Big 12? I think it's definitely Iowa State. Yeah. Uh, this is Matt Campbell's most complete team. Almost everybody's back from last year. And last year he had an inexperienced offensive line. And uh, at the end of the year, Matt Campbell, if you go back to his days at Toledo, always develops young offensive lines. They were actually were a semifinalist for the Joe Moore Award. Well, this year he's got the entire offensive line back. In fact, Coach Campbell told me it's the deepest offensive line he's had here. They have a chance to be special. Okay, let's take that offensive line. Plug it in with a veteran quarterback like Brock Purdy, who's been there for, what, 10 years. Uh, they've got a running back in Brees Hall, who's among the best in the country, the best tight end room in the country with Chase Allen, Charlie Kolar. Uh, Xavier Hutchinson is explosive at receiver, and then defensively they always play great defense. Mike Rose is back at linebacker, along with the entire unit. So they've got the offense, they got the defense. They do have to play Oklahoma on the road, but that's the only game they'll be an underdog in all year. All right, so now let's get to, obviously, the SEC. Alabama's the defending national champion again. You mentioned, of course, new quarterback. A, Alabama, but then B, who who can challenge them in the SEC? I think they've got two legitimate challengers this year, Steve. And for everybody who, after last year, thinks Alabama wins the national title every year, keep in mind, they didn't win the national title in 18 or 19. That's How right. about that? Right. So uh, when you take and a look at that. didn't make the playoff in 19. Right, which is just that so Alabama does not automatically win the championship every year, and I know they'll be picked number one by everybody this year, but and they they are good. They're yeah, they've got the most talent out there, and even though they lose their number one first round draft pick quarterback, two first round draft pick receivers, three offensive linemen, guess what? They did the same thing last year. They lost the exact same combination and still turned out pretty good. But they're two legitimate challengers, Texas A and M. You talk about recruiting for Nick Saban. Jimbo Fisher's doing the same type of recruiting in his four years at A&M. Mm-hmm. And when I was talking to Coach Fisher last year, we were going over the offensive line for the Joe Moore Award at the end of the year, uh, he said even though they're going to lose four starters, he feels this year's offensive line may be 
better athletically, have more NFL guys in it, and be better overall. So that sort of caught my ears. And if you look at A&M, your two weaknesses are, well, they lose four offensive linemen, they lose their quarterback. I like what I saw to Haynes King. I think he's a mobile guy that can throw the football. I think he's in for a big year this year. The offensive line, according to Coach Fisher, and he told me again this spring, could be better than last year. Everybody else on the team is back, including my number one running backs in the country. And if you look at their loss last year to Alabama, uh, they lost by 28, but it was really three or four plays in the first half. Go back and watch the first half of that game. Yep. Three plays go their way. They might have been winning at the half, uh, but it, it went against them, and they ended up losing by 28. They get them at home, College Station, October 9th. I think the Aggies have a chance. And then the other team is Georgia, and Georgia really has right. a path to get to the SEC championship game. They've got JT Daniels back at quarterback, one of the best running backs, offensive lines in the country, my number three defense in the country, and you got to love their schedule. They only play three true SEC road games this year, and those are against Auburn, Vanderbilt, and Tennessee. All have first-year head coaches. So once they get past Clemson in the opener, they'll be favored in all their games. That Clemson game, I only have them a three-point dog, so if they win that, they're in great shape. And keep in mind, the last two years they played Alabama in the postseason or the last two times they played Alabama in the postseason – they led almost start to finish in both games. I think they trailed for a grand total at two minutes, yet came up with two losses. So they know they can play with Alabama. I think Georgia and Texas A&M are clear, clear threats this year. Yeah, they trailed for the wrong two minutes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then you know, and when it comes to the Texas A&M game, this is what Jack Ham and I tell people all the time. They're usually, I don't know, seven or eight pivotal plays in the game. I said, but you don't know if the pivotal play is play eight, play 20, or play 28. I mean, you know, everybody always looks at the end of a game uh, all the time. Can't do that. So it's the total body. Clemson has had an incredible road in the ACC. Obviously, no Trevor Lawrence. Oh, and here's the other part. No Notre Dame, right? Because they're going back to being an independent. What's the Clemson road this year? Well, they're going to be favored in every game. I think Georgia's the toughest test of the year, and I believe the two teams in the ACC that can uh, stay with Clemson are North Carolina and Miami, and they don't play either during the regular season. They'd have a chance to play in both of those in the ACC championship game. Now, DJ Uyunglele is for uh, Clemson is an outstanding QB. I think he's going to have a good year. He's not going to have Trevor Lawrence exactly, but they put up 38 points per game with him. He's got a better offensive line in front of him than they had last year. They got the number one defensive line in the country, but they are. Uh, I think Miami and North Carolina have closed the gap. Watch yep. Sam Howell. Yep. Going to have a big year for North Carolina. Even though he loses top two running backs, top two receivers, I think he has a big year. And then Miami's got De'Ara King. And if De'Ara King's 100% healthy, which I think he will, he's dynamic. they got an excellent set of running backs behind him. Uh, and I think both those teams can uh, give Clemson a, a run for their money. But uh, I went way out of the box, Steve. My final four would be uh, yeah. <laughs> Clemson. Yep. Ohio State, yeah. Alabama, and uh, Oklahoma. How's that for being a risk taker this well, year? Well, I'll tell you right now, you and I are going to Vegas. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah we'll that, be able to we'll be able to put up a couple hundred and win yeah, a couple hundred. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but it's funny because that, that was exactly the question I was going to ask you next was who you who you had in your final four. I, I, which you know, obviously, it's a, it's an answer I already knew. But uh, when we do this down the road, just so you know. I'm not going to ask you who you think your final 12 is. <laughs> okay. I appreciate that. Yes. That's going to and be that, a little... that's, Yeah, that's coming in like two years. Yeah, exactly. I'm not going to ask you, Phil, who do you have in your final 12? I go, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Start doing that. 
Phil, an absolute pleasure. Uh, as you know, you and I could, could knock around football here for about uh, four or five hours, but the, the time you give us is gold. And Barnes & Noble, but also there's one other outlet you should uh, mention to people just in case. Yeah, the places to get the magazine, Steve, it's 352 pages, like getting 130 different media guides rolled into one. And we give you the same amount of coverage on Akron that we do on Ohio State and yeah. Alabama, two full pages. Barnes & Noble is the main location, but it's also at Books A Million. So those two locations this year, or you can go online if you don't find it. It is selling out at a lot of the Barnes & Nobles. So you can go online at philsteel.com. That's S-T-E-E-L-E.com. And and you're not lying, Steve. We could go on. I, I could talk to you for a couple hours in football. This is a, this is a great. I'm enjoying this a lot. Yep, same here, my friend. Appreciate you more than you know. Uh, we reference you and the magazine all the time for good reason. It's the best out there. Thank you so much for your time. Well, thanks for having me on, Steve. And tell Jack I said hi as well. Absolutely. That's, that we'll make that a priority. All right. Thanks for having me on, Steve. A lot of fun today. Phil Steele, Raven Sample, next half hour as we continue on News Radio 1070 WKOK. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Subway Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Merth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle is worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC way? The SMC way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. And we welcome everyone back and joined now by Raven Sample, who is a member of the track and field team for the United States Paralympic track and field team. Raven, welcome to the show. Congratulations on a great accomplishment. Thank you very much. All right, now this is going to take place, obviously, in Tokyo. So what have they told you? What do you have to do now to make sure that you're able to go? Uh, what are the protocols that they put forward for you? So I'm not entirely sure about the protocols. I've heard a little bit, um, you know, bits and pieces of, you know, more so of how long it's going to be taking. Um, so I was at a camp in Chua Vista uh, to train last week, and they were talking about how some of the able-bodied Olympians we're at the airports and it's taken them about five to six hours just to get out of the airport due to all the COVID protocols and making sure they're tested correctly and all of that. Amazing. Uh, all right. So now you're at, at the trials, at the trials in the 400. What was the feeling like when you crossed and you knew you made it? For me, it was just, because going into the race, I knew that if I had won, I would probably be in a pretty good spot. Um, certainly, I needed to also run a good time, but I knew that through winning would be, you know, putting me up for that good spot. And at that moment, it felt like all the work was over. And truly, the next week when we got our decision date on uh, the Thursday, 
uh, following the end of trials. Um, you know, before that happened, even like I knew that there was no reason to be stressed about this meeting. Like all the work had been done during trials and it was the same thing after the race. All the work had been done in the past 50 seconds. Like I couldn't change anything now. It was just, I have to wait and see now. Well, in Minneapolis, you ran 50.34, which is just off your Bucknell best. Back on the 27th in that tri-meet, you ran 50.29. Could you just tell as you were going along that you were on a pace that was pretty close to your best? I certainly felt like it was a good race. Um, certainly there were some parts where I, I, you know, I, I want to fix up a little bit uh, going into Tokyo. Certainly the beginning and the end. The beginning, I just didn't get out of my blocks. Like, it just didn't click in that moment. Uh, certainly it was probably a lot of nerves going on, a little bit nervous about the race and just didn't immediately just, I got to go. So that took about 30 meters to finally realize I got to race and I got to go fast. And then the last 50 meters, you know, I was tying up a little bit and then it will work there and get to get a stronger finish. And I certainly see myself going under my Bucknell PR, but you know, during the race, it felt good. Uh, It felt like I was, I was racing. So, and that was something that, you know, it's been kind of hard sometimes because, you know, There's either, you know, the competition's a little bit high, a little bit low, or like the meet's not the greatest day, but that's something that you go through with the sport. Uh, But that day, the weather was great, the competition was great, and everything just felt in line like it was a good race. What did this past season mean to you at Bucknell, especially to get back out on the track? So after the long COVID break and everything, (laughs) it, it felt so amazing to finally be doing the sport I love again. Um, certainly I love training and, you know, I wouldn't trade the world for even having the ability to just go out and practice every day, but the a meet is just so different. Like it's kind of, that's where you're able to like, you know, really, you know, you've seen, I've seen quotes like Usain Bolt, you know, he said, I've spent years to run nine seconds. You know, that's truly how track and field works. The back end work is spent so much in this, you know, practice time and, you know, you do so much behind the scenes that the meets are really your greatest opportunity to show what you've been working on. And, you know, having that back was just, it felt perfect. Uh, you mentioned what you want to work on between now and then. Um, so you want to get out of the blocks quicker. Uh, obviously, you feel you can make up, uh, I don't know, how many hundreds you can make up by by getting out of the block. Has that always been a priority? I mean, it's, it's going to be a priority for any runner. But is that mm-hmm. something you've always had to really work on, the exit out of the block? So during high school, I actually had not used blocks. I was uh, uh, one of the yeah. racers that stand started. So my right. first year that I was going to use blocks was my senior year of high school, with COVID canceling everything. I hadn't really gotten you know to use them. And then going into Bucknell was my first true year of using blocks and kind of learning uh, something different. Um, certainly with my disability, I've taken a little bit of a different route compared to some other athletes. Um, a lot of other athletes in the Paris scene who have, you know, some sort of arm disability, what they tend to do is they'll have uh, like a wooden block or something to extend themselves up. So like if, they're, if like their reach isn't as far down as they would need, they would substitute that reach with, per se, like a wooden block. Right. Um, for me, I took a different approach to this and I've begun using a different design of blocks um, that allow me not. To, it's more of a I think it would be considered a two point stance. Um, more of like a standing start, but the blocks exist more so to, you know, stop me from dropping back. Um, you know, I've, uh, you know, really appreciated the work that coach Alexander has helped me, you know, helped me do to get better in these blocks and really moving forward. There's certainly some improvements I can make and, you know, I'm just excited about what I can do there. 
Is there almost like a formula in your own mind in terms of how to get out where there's a not only a comfort level but a potential explosiveness that you've almost had to do through trial and error? Mm-hmm. So one of the things when I first was starting uh, using these blocks that I remember Coach Alexander talking to me about was, you know, when I come out, you know, it looked like the wheels were hitting the ground with me running. It looked like the wheels were hitting, but the wheels weren't grabbing. And that's kind of what I've been thinking about a little bit more moving forward. Like when I come out, it's not just, you know, I have the explosion to come out, but I got to be putting the power into the ground to really make use of my start. Uh, whereas before I would come out and it was really just kind of weekly going through the motions. I would use the blocks, but it wasn't like I was getting that power going forward. And, you know, since, you know, that conversation, of course, moving forward and thinking about it more and more and how to improve that, I certainly think I've gotten a little bit better at, you know, instead of having the wheels spin when it hit the ground, they really right. grab and, you know, I get going. You know, you've been in the course of your lifetime, you know, and let's just talk about Bucknell. I mean, you, you compete in the 200, but you've been mm-hmm. in the relays and the 400. What is it about the 400 distance that's made for you as opposed to another distance? So I've really, truly loved the 400. Uh, I think it's a lot more of a mental thing than it is a physical thing, honestly, because for me, I just love that. You know, a lot of people call it one of the hardest events, and I would agree with that. It is certainly one of the hardest events. Um, So, because it's a long sprint. The whole thing is a sprint. And really, I've enjoyed, you know, in high school, you know, I dabbled a little bit in the 800, the 1500. You know, I did cross country as well. That slow burning distance of like energy, I just didn't completely, you know, I didn't work with it all the time. Like I, you know, I had to really work hard to get to where I was for distance. Whereas with the 400, it just felt natural. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a kind of longer burning flame, but it's still bright the whole time is the way I think about it. How the people in Jamestown reacted to this, knowing that they have somebody going to the Paralympics on August 27th? There's certainly a, you know, everyone's very surprised that you get the, uh, this doesn't happen very often. Not many, you know, this doesn't, you know, nobody really comes from this area and has, you know, this kind of success. And certainly the amount of support that I've gotten from, you know, hometown, not just Jamestown, but all of Western New York has been so overwhelming and really just, it's, it feels great to be able to kind of showcase, you know, what for me was section six, you know, Western New York area what we have for athletics and what we can you know what we can create certainly you know i've also had a lot of help from bucknell so now it's not just about you know what can western new york create but also what can bucknell university make yeah that was going to be the next part the support you received now from the bucknell community what has that meant to you every step of the way so for me like it was first when i got to bucknell was a lot of emotional support and a lot of people didn't completely know that because that you know so I uh, experienced the passing of my grandmother. I'd lived with my mm. grandparents throughout my entire childhood. And my grandmother had passed away the day I moved into Bucknell. So yeah. That was certainly a hard thing to go through. But going to Bucknell and, you know, I, you know, when I visited prior in my senior year of high school, it felt like home. And then going there as a freshman, the people felt like family. And the people were just amazing. The staff, the students, the local community, everybody. So it was just, it felt great. So from an emotional stance like i that really helped healing a lot from that pain yeah. and then from an athletic stance like i have you know great coaches that have worked with me to make sure that i am able to kind of pursue these you know opportunities as they come and certainly you know not being an able-bodied athlete 
it does change a little bit how I work. You know, on the track, uh, Coach Alexander doesn't really have to alter my stuff all that much, but especially Coach RC it has to kind of, she really has to, you know, reinvent how I'm spending my time in the weight room because a lot of the stuff that the able-bodied athletes are doing, like that's just not, you know, completely possible for me. So between all the coaching and the communities of, you know, both areas and especially now at Bucknell, like I've just, you know, I've begun thriving a lot and I see myself, you know, growing past where I even am right now. I mean, I'm still pretty young in the, like in the scheme of, you know, Paralympics. So I hope that, you know, in the next coming years that this isn't just the beginning, but, you know, there's, you know, a lot higher heights to hit. Off that answer, I've got two questions. One is how long did it take for you after you crossed the finish line in Minneapolis to think of your grandmother? So for me, I've begun not just not just finishing, but during during beginning the race. You know, I uh, I think of the promises I've made to not just my grandmother, but also everyone else. You know, around in my community, and so I begin my race thinking about you know those people who they gave me you know unthinkable amounts of support and how thankful I am for that, and how this race and every other race that I got to compete in, like it's an example for them. It's you know it's showcased not just for myself and my own abilities, but a showcase of what their effort and their, you know, their help has created. Um, after I finished it, it, it really felt like, you know, the sun opened up and, you know, my mom had, you know, helped me get through all of that. Mm-hmm. And I, I felt like the promises that I was making were slowly coming into, you know, coming into being completed. And I needed to, you know, certainly trials wasn't the end. And I certainly have, now, especially since I've gotten closer into the, you know, United States paratrack and field scene, like I know there's higher heights I got to go to now, you know, my, you know, there's still goals ahead for my future career of, you know, in paratrack and field, you know, I want to be making national teams soon. I want to be trying to break records for T45, you know, obviously medal and, you know, obviously continuously do well at an international level. So there's, it's, it's a, it's a growing process of, you know, how can I keep representing and how can I keep honoring the support that everyone has given me, especially my grandmother? All right. So then the, the other question I had off your previous answer would be about your teammates. You get mm-hmm. to Bucknell, not the easiest time for you to get there, as you talked about the passing of your grandmother. You talked about the support the coaching staff gave you. What about the support you received from your teammates, the encouragement you received from your teammates? What have they meant? Because as freshman, as a freshman, this was an all-new experience and all-new people to meet. So the team of Bucknell, I just, especially my sprints group, I just, I really love. They're great people. They're fun people. And, you know, they're hardworking athletes. Um, In high school, like I hadn't really had a full-fledged group of people. You know, I had one or two, three guys, you know, a small group of guys that, you know, we all work together. But going to Bucknell and, you know, being in a whole sprints group with, you know, a handful of guys who are all very, like, very talented and very good at what they do. And then, of course, you know, they each have their own amazing personality and, you know, each focuses differently and have different views on the sport of track and field. That was just, you know, a very great experience for me seeing, you know, not just, you know, being around other high level athletes was just a big honor that, you know, that was a big goal of mine in high school. Like, you know, when I was looking for colleges, one of the big things I asked my coach was, I, you know, I cared a lot about my academics and I wanted to go division one. And Bucknell was a perfect fit for that. You know, I've, it's great. I've had great academics there. I've been challenged academically and certainly, you know, I got to that, I got to that division one level. So 
how much you know, it's really great when you're around other athletes that can then push you. Mm-hmm. How much do your teammates push you, and do you feel like you're getting better times because of that? A hundred percent. So with the four hundred, you know, there's some guys that I certainly, you know, there's certainly some standout guys that I think about. Of you know, who do I want to be at practice each day? Because who is like what I see very good at different things. Um, certainly, you know, uh, graduating senior Alex Asoy, like he was kind of like kind of like the mentor I had. Like you know, I saw myself as kind of a younger him almost when I came in. And I wanted to definitely be, you know, up close and, you know, trying to stay with him during practices and stay with him during races. That was certainly a big goal of mine. You know, another freshman, Matt Prello, and, you know, an upperclassman, Kevin Boyle, like they're, they're our short sprinters. They're fast. I want to be fast like them. I want to be able to have that speed. And, you know, other guys like Caleb Wooten, guys I, you know, work right with every day, you know, you know, they're just, I'm working with them. I'm working to try to be, not just better for myself, but better for them because they're putting in hard work along with me. Like, that's what this is all about. It's not just about, you know, I'm there to, you know, be every guy on the team, you know, I'm there to kind of grow with the team because we're all putting that hard work in. We're all trying to get better. And, you know, that's what matters the most. You've represented Falconer high school, mm-hmm. which as I told you before we started, I've actually have been to, you have represented and continue to represent Bucknell. What does it mean now to you to represent the United States? I know when I got my Team USA, you know, jersey and the kit and the package of everything, that was just, that was phenomenal, honestly. For me, like, up until that mo- like point, like, everything along the process, you know, the decision date, finishing the trials race, all that just felt peaceful. But my firework moment was opening up the gear kit and seeing that Team USA jersey sitting right on top. Like, that was my moment where it just, everything felt like I was on top of the world because it's just, you know, that's the dream, you know, it's, this is truly Paralympics and, you know, this level that I'm at now, that's, it's truly the top of the mountain. And, you know, there is higher to go on the mountain, of course, but like that's, this is the highest level of competition. And it's just so baffling that I'm, you know, I have the opportunity to be able to compete at that level. Well, you not only have everybody in Western New York rooting for you, you not only have everybody in the Valley rooting for you, you're now going to have everybody in the country rooting for you. Congratulations mm-hmm. on a great accomplishment to this point, and best of luck in reaching all the goals that you want, Raven. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Raven Sample, we do a lot of interviews on this show, and look, the vast, vast majority of them are fun. And then there's some that... that fall into the special category. That's one that fell into the special category. Uh, Matt's the one that set it up. And when I finally had a chance just to sit down here in the Sunbury Motors studio and talk with him, I just found the entire conversation to be enthralling and fascinating. And he's, you think about this, and I said this obviously in the interview to him, you're representing Falconer High School right there in Jamestown. You're representing Bucknell. And now you're representing Team USA. You can tell in listening to him that he is a perfect representative for Falconer High School in Jamestown. You can tell in listening to him he's a perfect representative of Bucknell and the outstanding track program at Bucknell and his teammates. And now he's an outstanding representative for all of us on Team USA in the Paralympics. And he'll be there on the 27th of this month, which is what? I think it's a Friday is the 27th, 
uh, of this month. But it was just great to talk with him. Just great to talk with him. Well, I can't wait to talk with any of you uh, tomorrow. I mean, I'll be out at the Susquehanna Valley Country Club. Matt and I will be there. Uh, we believe the suit will be there. The suit is playing tomorrow. Now, whether he big times us and leaves, I don't know. But hopefully the suit will be there. Usually Mark Lawrence shows up. Uh, we uh, Dave Ritchie sometimes shows up, you know, who's one of the nicest people on the planet. And it's an event I look t- forward to every year. Uh, to me, it is uh, when they ask me, hey, when can we do this? You know, when are you available? doesn't take me long to clear out my schedule to do it because there's several reasons. A, it's the Purdy's, and the Purdy's are just great people. I mean, it's a great company, great people. I mean, I don't think you can have a great company unless you have great people that give back to the community. This honors uh, Adam's grandfather, Truman H. Purdy. It's the Greater Susquehanna Valley YMCA. We had a chance over the years to get to know Bonnie and everybody over at the Greater Susquehanna Valley YMCA. And the fact is we're, you know, we're able to do something by having a blast and play some golf. It'll be great to see Corey from Brewers Outlet. It'll be great to see Tom Mertz from Sunbury Motors and the Sunbury Motors gang. But it's a community coming together to do something for everybody else. We're going to do it, obviously, in a fun format that's golf. And then we're going to sit there on the patio for two hours and do the show. And there's nothing like sitting on that patio, especially with the weather tomorrow. It's supposed to be spectacular. Uh, to look out on the beautiful, beautiful, not just the golf course, but the mountain ranges all around it. It's just really, really special. And it's something that means a lot to me. I'm so glad we started doing this. Uh, I think the first time I was there would be, what, 2012 is the first one I was in. It's fabulous. I can't wait to be at the Susquehanna Valley Country Club tomorrow. I can't wait to be a part of the Purdy Memorial Golf Tournament. Help out the greater Susquehanna Valley YMCA. And today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia Routes 11 and 15 in Hummels Wharf. And online at sunburymotors.com on News Radio 1070 WKOK.